This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Trucks came from miles around. And uh, the owner of the plant says, you know, I'll give, I have a, we have a secret formula in the middle of the central plant. If you can save those secret formula, I'll give the fire department $50,000. And all the fire departments are trying their best to save, to put out the fire. And no success. He said, I'll raise you $100,000. If you can get those secret formula out of the, the plant, I'll raise $100,000. They're trying their best. Can't do it. All of a sudden, a small fire truck comes from Muncie. And Jewish guys come in, the old people, they come in. And they go right into the center of the plant. And they put out the fire. They're running. And they see them running around, putting out the fire. And they're successful. And they pull out this, this secret formula. And the the head of the of the of this plant is so happy. He says, "I'll give you hundred thousand dollars. What are you going to do with the money?" He said, "We're going to fix our brakes." <laughs> <laughs> so it's we're going to fix the brakes. That's it. Okay. So we have to be happy. How to be happy? Sometimes it's not so pleasant. Uh, life is full of ups ups and downs, and we have to try and find a way to make ourselves happy and. You know, the only way you can make yourself really happy is by having true bitachon, having trust in God. Reach out, figure in your mind that you're holding Hashem's hand. Now, Hashem hasn't have a hand, but you got to think in your mind as you're walking down the street. My father, my father in heaven, he's walking down the street holding my hand. A person always got to imagine that the umbilical cord is never cut between us and Hashem. A person walking around with this umbilical cord hanging over the head. The, the rabbis say, the Kabbalah say, it comes from a head. The, the soul is attached into our neshama and our neshama is attached up high up and the only thing that cuts it is called karet because the person does bad things the source between the source and the soul is cut That's, that uh, umbilical cord is cut the spiritual umbilical cord is cut but otherwise a person has an umbilical cord so a person got to imagine all the time that they have this umbilical cord between them and Hashem and that will pull them through all their troubles in life a person got to really have belief and that really should make a person happy, the fact that they're attached attached to Hashem. We're all attached to Hashem, but not only we're attached to Hashem, we're also attached to each other. Every single Jew is attached to each other. We're, we're all attached. And that's also comforting. The comforting thing is to know that we are part of a family. We're all part of a big family. And people see this, and people, the non-Jews pay attention. They want to know why Jews are so help each other so much. So it's a very important idea. But let's get back to the book. And the book tells us the importance of music. The person wants to be happy. If do it, Hashem Simcha, it's very important to play music. And we find this in the Torah. Where do we find this in the Torah? Who is the most unhappy person in the Torah? David. David was very happy. But Shaul, Shaul. Right, we learned this. We learned some on Shabbat. If you come to my Nach class on, Sha- on Shabbat, we learned this in Shabbat. Shaul, when he heard that his kingdom is going to be lost, Shmuel Hanavi tells him he's going to lose his kingdom because he didn't listen twice to Hashem's uh, mitzvah. And, Sh- and Shaul has these fits of depression, total depression, fits of depression, bordering on madness. And he hired David to play music for him. So we see Shaul Hamela, King Saul. King Saul. Shaul is King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. A tragic figure, a real big tzaddik. We have no idea what big tzaddik it says. He had what happened was, anyway, let's not go into the whole story, but well, what he had was he had tons of money. He had tons of money. It says he never had to raise taxes. He never took taxes from people. Can you imagine? A self, it's like our president now. He doesn't take money, right? One dollar a year. They don't, people don't care. 
They'd rather take money and whatever. <laughs> okay. It's interesting. Well, we had uh, Mayor Bloomberg, right? One dollar a year. I don't know. He, that guy works so hard. I've never seen a person. He worked, no one worked harder than him. He's working for nothing, basically. He's working for the society. Now, it's King Saul. Shaul HaMelech worked for nothing. He paid the army from his own pockets. He would sustain all the poor. Amazing. He was a very wealthy man. A very wealthy man. Big study. But unfortunately, he lost his kingdom. He lost his kingdom because he never had the guts to stand up to the people. People, he never had the guts to stand up and say, I'm the boss, and the buck stops with me, and that's it. He didn't stand up for that. And unfortunately, he lost his kingdom. But you know what? He, he was very smart. He married his daughter off to the next king. At least his son-in-law is going to become king. At least a relative, no. He didn't want his son-in-law to be king. He wanted to be the king. He wanted to pass it down to his son. Yonatan and Yonatan was like the biggest tzaddik also. Yonatan had no jealousy at all. Yonatan was willing to give the kingdom to David. He knew David's going to get the kingdom. He said, David, just, I'll be your right-hand man. And David says, fine, no problem. I'm no problem with you. And unfortunately, Shaul and his uh, sons were killed at a war with the Philistines. And David takes over. David eventually takes over. So, but we, but we see this concept of music, and also music is also part of the meditation. We're going to have a, have a series on, on Jewish meditation starting on the 27th at 8 o'clock. But uh, music, if you look at the story also, it says, Shaul HaMelech, before he became king, he was searching for his father's donkey. Imagine, he lost his father's donkey. It's like losing your father's car, oh boy, in those days. So he lost his father's donkey. He's looking all over for his father's donkey. Until they finally tell him, listen, maybe you should go to the seer. S-E-E-R, seer, Jose in Hebrew. Jose, as far as we can see, Jose. If you don't know where a donkey is, where do you go? So you go to the prophet. The prophet will tell you where a donkey is. Maybe he'll know where the donkey is. So he goes to the prophet. Imagine. And Shmuel tells him, he says, I know where your father's donkey is, but you're going to be the next king of Israel. Wow. Isn't that good news? <laughs> he got two good news. He lost his father's donkey. But look, look what came out of it. So instead of getting depressed, you know, I lost my father. He's going crazy. I mean, he's looking for his father's donkey. His father's going to really get him. His father, he lost his father's donkey. But he found a kingdom. He found a kingdom and he found his donkey as well. But it says on the way back, he fell, into, he fell in with a group of prophets. And they were playing music. And he started prophesying as well. We find music is a very, very important tool. It's got to be good music, happy music, that gives a person a good frame of mind. It's very, very important. And you know, there's a lot of research done into this because they play different kinds of music in different places. Right? If you go to stores... There's music which attracts, and there's also music that pushes out. So like an elevator music, is a music that they want to get rid of people. You know, people just hang around the elevators, they play some, some music, if you look, play the music, it's very boring music, and people don't want to stay in that elevator to hear that music, they just want to get out of the elevator. So it's interesting, in elevators they play certain, they know exactly which kind of music is interesting. A lot of studies done, which music attracts, and which music pushes. But again, it's very subjective. Some people like that kind of music, some people don't like it. So it depends on you. You've got to find a music that you like. So everything we do in life, as Rabbi Shapiro says, everything we do in life should be done with simcha. Which is amazing, which is an amazing concept. A person really got to find joy in just being alive. Because when a person finds joy in being alive, it's really a, a thank you to Hashem. Hashem says, I gave you life. But I didn't give you life to be, to be so sad. It's like bringing a child in the world, a kid's so sad. I'm bringing a life to make, to make a, a kid sad. No, I want to give life to it. give a person happy. I want to make his own happy. So you have a happy kid. It's such a, such a beautiful joy to see a happy child. We enjoy happy, a happy child. 
So Hashem, we're the children of God. We want to be happy because we want to give. How create a happiness? Yes. No, because he made himself happy. He knew the secret of becoming happy. David Melech is really the best secret of becoming happy. What happened was David Melech at the early age was thrown out of the house. We have to understand what it's like. His father disowned him. His father thought he was not the father. He thought uh, that his wife fooled around because he divorced his wife and she gets pregnant. He divorced her. He didn't want to. He didn't want to live with her anymore because he was a big tzaddik. He said, "Maybe I'm from the descendant of Ruth, and Ruth is a Moabite. A Moabite is not allowed to marry with a Jew, and therefore I should divorce my wife after he had eight children already." He divorced his wife, and she switches one night with a maid. <laughs> Same story of Ruth of Rachel uh, Leah, and she gets pregnant from him, but he doesn't know it's from him. It's a very strange story. So he throws him out of the house. He's he's like a shepherd in the field, and Shmuel says, "Do you have any more children?" He says. More children? You mean I have another son? You mean that, that's my son? Good news. He gets the good news. Shmuel comes and says, you have any more children? He didn't know he had any more children. Shmuel says, bring me all your sons. All the sons that they except for David. You think it was his son? Do you have any more sons? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now you tell me. I have a kid in the field with a, with a sheep. He gets good news. that That's his son. Wow. <laughs> Amazing story. Weird story, right? But here's David. Think about David now. Not a day in his life he had peace because... At a very early age, he was thrown out of the house. His, his parents made fun of him. His father, his father, think, think it was his father. His brothers made fun of him. You're not a brother. And even after they, they hear that, he, even after they see his anointed, they make fun of him. Always think bad things about him. He was always a no good kid in the family. Terrible. And then, he, you know, Shaul, his, his, the father in law, he wants to get rid of him, he wants to kill him, looking to kill him all the time. He's hunted, he's a hunted man. And then the Pelish team, Balagan, every day, every day. All the trouble. But he had never, never had a moment's peace in his life. But when he had peace, it's amazing, when he had peace, what does he want to do? He wants to build a better Middash. As soon as he has a little bit of peace, I have to build a house for God. 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 And Hashem says, you're not going to build it. <laughs> but I have to build it. I want to build it. You're not going to build it. Your hands are full of blood. You can't build it. Your son will build it. So... Question is why wasn't he allowed to build it? So we know. Because if he'd have built it, it would never be destroyed. Which is good and bad. The good the good part of it, we still have a temple today. The bad part would be there'd be no Jews. Hashem took out his anger on the on the building and didn't take out his anger on us. So we wouldn't be around. So you see that David Amir though knew the secret of happiness, and that's why he played so much music. Why did David Amir play so much? I wish we had. We have the words, we don't have the music. The music was lost. Uh, we say that one of the Tehillim says, Al Narob Avel, Shem Yashavnu, Gambachinu, on the rivers of Babylon, we, we wept. Talinu Kinurotenu, we hung up our harps. We stopped playing music. From that time on, they stopped playing music. But again, the music was kept to the second temple, so in the second temple, part of the temple service is music. It's amazing. The Avodah was done with music. In the time bringing the Korban was done with music. Uh, the, the, uh, it says to bring the Korban Pesach. They had at least two shifts, because there's no room in the Bedouin for all these Jews to come with all the with the korbanot. In the second temple, they they, they counted the Agrippus was the king. He was the last king, Agrippus. He was half king. He was half Jew. Whatever, descendant of Herod. Let's not go into that story. But he was the last king. But he was a from guy. He was a good guy. A good man. And they, he he told the priest, uh, page fifty three. He told he told the priest. He says count. 
the, the kidneys of the, of the korbanot. So we'll know how many, how many korbanot there are. This way we can get a figure how many Jews there are. It says there were 600,000 korban pesachs. So if you take 10 people at least, they're eating one sheep. There are these groups of 10. There were 6 million people already in Israel at that time. The second temple. In the first temple, probably more. There's a tremendous time of Shlomo Melech. There's a tremendous expansion of the Jewish population. People, converts came in. Oh, everyone's coming. Everyone wants to be Jewish. Amazing. So anyway, it's very important to be happy. And David Melech knew how to make himself happy. How? He played music. He soothed himself with his own music. He became an expert musician. No one taught him. He was a self-taught musician. I don't know how he made his music. He probably made his own instruments as well. I mean, who made the instruments in those days? So very, very fascinating. In the bed of Dash was full of music. It's only because of the destruction of the temple. Today we're getting lenient. Today, at one time in Jewish law, there was no music. Not allowed to have music. Till today's halakha, the Shulchan says, you're not allowed to play music when you pr- and drink wine. You're not allowed to go to a restaurant with wine and music. Uh, that's the most lean opinion. The strict opinion is there's no music. Today we're lenient with uh, recorded music, but live music is a problem with wine. You can't drink wine and listen to, say, someone playing the piano because it's filling up one's life with joy when the temple is destroyed. So only the simcha of a, of a wedding or a mitzvah, then you're allowed to have live music and, and wine at the same time. Yes, yes. All his life, from the time he was 16 till, till he passed away at 63. And he always said, my business would have driven me crazy, but my music kept me sane. Mm. Right. <laughs> so the question is, what's his business, what's his music? I mean, they're both the same, so... <laughs> well, You're right. No, okay. Really had, had okay, that's good. Okay. okay, good. So anyway, that's it. So music. Music is very, very critical. People don't hear enough music. We've got to fill our lives with music. So the question is, like... You know, I was talking about when I have a son who is very happy. He's always humming music to himself. <laughs> He's living in music. His mind is full of music, so a person can hear music all the time. And that's the idea. The idea is take the wedding with you. You went to a wedding, take the music with you. You can't help that music. That music goes and breaks the eardrums. So today you've got to take earplugs to your wedding. It's tragic. Mm-hmm. To play the music so loud, you're sitting over there. I, a person losing hearing. I'm losing my, I'm losing my hearing. I'll tell you, I'm going to... Put earplugs. Every time you go to a wedding, no, don't forget your earplugs. Don't forget the earplugs. The babies. Huh? The babies. Now they have something for the babies. Yeah, forget the babies. Adults. The babies also, we need earplugs. But uh, it's important to take the music with you. Record it in your head and, and play it with you. you know. Keep that simcha going in your head. Especially when a person needs it. Just think about the good times in life. And that's a very important key. Hashem gave us a memory. Now, a lot of people remember bad things. But why not remember the good things? and play the good things over and over in one's mind, in, in one's memory. Think about the good things in a person growing up in life. Think about the most enjoyable. Try and remember the most enjoyable parts of life. So a person also will thank Hashem. I don't just think about the bad things. I always think about the good things as well. Um, think about the, the really happy events in one's life, and play it over in one's head, and then six days. Hashem, thank you. Thank you so much for those good events, and good memories I have in my head. Thank God, Baruch Hashem. So it's very important to... Have music around oneself and listen to music. So the Rambam says in Hechoteot, he tells people who felt sad, listen to music. So today you have no problem, just MP3, it's on your phone, music's on your phone, it's downloadable. There's no excuse to be sad today. So much music a person can get today. It's amazing. And Jewish music, forget about all the garbage. There's lots of Jewish music today, more and more Jewish music. So it's important 
So you have an orchestra, you can carry an orchestra with you. We're so lucky. You can listen to the best orchestras, touch of a button. It's very, very important. So that's number, number one. Number two, make a list of what you enjoy to do. A person wants to be happy. Think about what you like to do, and why not take some time off and do it? So it's very important. So a person who is a master of creating a happy life will develop the ability to find a sense of enjoyment and now, we, what is enjoyment? So, enjoyment, there's different kinds of enjoyment, but uh, to really put it in a, in a spiritual perspective, enjoyment is doing something which is fulfilling, purposeful. And that's why people today are so depressed, because they don't have purpose in life. To do something purposeful is something which is enjoyable. So it's very important to, to synchronize the two. Find something purposeful and make that enjoyable for you. So, for example, learning Torah. If it, if it becomes, if it's, it's definitely purposeful. The question is, if it's enjoyable, someone's going to try and make that part of their life and make an enjoyable part of their life. So find someone you like to listen to and go and listen to them and, and or play the tapes or whatever it is. And this way you're learning to write, and it's enjoyable for you. Uh, my mother was a very big fan of, of uh, Victor Miller. In fact, when she came to America to visit me, she says, take me to <laughs> Rabbi Victor Miller. <laughs> okay, okay, mom, whatever you say, mom. So, <laughs> so I take her to Brooklyn. And go chase down Rabbi Victor Miller. Got to find out where he is. So he finally has a shul in Brooklyn. And Baruch Hashem, we, we met him, and he gave a nice bracha, uh, very nice. Uh, so she was a fan of Rabbi Victor Miller. She's in England listening to his tapes. He had bought all his tapes, and she listened to his tapes, reading his books. And she was a very serious student. So um, in her eighties, she's a very she was a very serious. She's underlined, you know, go through his book, and that's very important. She was happy doing it, purposeful and happy. So it made her happy, and it was purposeful. To find opportunities that are purposeful and also make you happy. Whenever you do something, keep a note, mental note. Does that make you feel good? Make you feel good? It's very good. So do it. So do it and make you. It'll make you feel good. It'll make you feel happy. So write a write a list of things that you enjoy doing. Make a list, and this way, when you don't feel so great, <coughs> listen, I got a list of all these things I like doing. So let me do something I like. This will make me happy and it's purposeful. It'll give me a boost. So recall times when you were in a positive state. What put you into that state? Add to your list things when you, you find enjoying to do, uh, that you used to do and now you don't do anymore. So why not go back to do them? This is what I used to do. And that's what uh, I enjoy doing. So he has a whole list over here. I'm not going to go through the whole list. But for those who have the book, it's on page 56, 57. You have a list of things which uh, hopefully are enjoyable. I don't know. Depends on the person. That's what you like to do. But uh, one of the most important, enjoyable things is just going through an album and looking at the past and saying, look, you know, all the weddings in the family, all the children, and when they grew up, and it's very enjoyable. Put the puzzle feels down, take it out. That's what it's for. That's what a wedding album is for. Today, videos and other things, the puzzle can perk up anytime. The best thing to do is play it over one's mind. Carry it with you. So I'm, going, I'm moving on to chapter 19, page 58, and this is a very important technique, and that is mirroring and modeling happy people. Person should have at least three happy people in their lives. If it's your spouse, even better. It's hard to find a happy spouse. And if you have one kid, at least. Who's <laughs> a happy, happy kid, you know. It's very important to have at least a few role models of happy people around in your life. And uh, that's how people learn. People learn by mirroring and by modeling. People learn by mirroring and modeling. In fact, it's interesting because the Torah, um, the first time you use the word gadol and katan. Who can tell me, where does he use the word gadol and katan in the Torah? There's a, there's a very, very important rule. The first time a word is used in the Torah, that's really the context. You have to understand the word. By the sun and the moon. Excellent. 
Here's my best student. Yeah. She's my best student. Uh, she comes. Okay. So uh, the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon. By the sun it says, Hamaor Hagadol, Hamemshelet Hayom. Maor Hakatan, Lememshelet Balayla. The Maor Hagadol, the sun, has dominion of the day, and the moon has dominion at night. So Maor Hagadol, Maor Hakatan. So what's the difference between Gadol and Katan? From that perspective, you can understand what is a Gadol and what is a Katan. So the answer is the sun radiates. A Gadol is someone who radiates to others. You're a giver, you're a teacher, you're, you're always doing it for others. That's a radiator. You're radiating things for other people. Right? So usually a parent is a radiator. You're radiating to your children. You're giving to your children. The child is like the moon. Katan. Mara Katan. Why is a child like a moon? What does a moon do? The moon mirrors what it gets. So light from the sun is mirrored by the moon. Delivers light at night time. Delivers night light. But it's not really its own light. It's the light which is mirrored on it from the sun. The sun is radiating to the moon. The moon, the moon mirrors. And that's the job of a child. The child mirrors what it sees. So the child is happy. It's a sign that at home, someone is happy, hopefully. Because the child is mirroring someone at home. Right? Usually the children, they copy. They're very good copiers. They see something on TV, they copy it. They see something at home, they, they copy it. So it's very important what goes on with that child. You can see he's mirroring things. The children mainly mirror things. So if he's learning bad words, he's getting from somewhere. He's mirroring. He's learning good words, coming, coming from somewhere. If he's praying nicely, it's coming from somewhere. He's mirroring. So we have to also find people that radiate good energy, radiate happiness that we can mirror. That's very, very important because we human beings copy. We're like, uh, we copy people. We emulate things around us. So it's very important to see happy people and try and find them and muddle them and mirror them. So usually we do things naturally, but a person's got to go out the way to find these happy people. So if everyone in your life is quetching, everyone in your life is grumbling, everyone in your life is complaining, it's very hard for you to change. How are you going to do to be different? And especially if a person grows up in a house like that. Everyone's complaining, everyone's critical, everyone's this. So it's very important to become a happy person. How do we do that? And the answer is, we have to mirror them. Mirror happy people. The Ramam writes in Choteot, the very nature of human beings is to be influenced by their surroundings. Peer pressure. Peer pressure, peer pressure. So if you're around happy people, they will be part of you. You'll mirror it automatically. To learn from other people. A wise person learns from other people. So obviously we need good people to learn from. Not learn garbage from people, we learn good things from people. So one of the things we have to look for is a person who's a happy person and try and learn from them. How am I always happy? How's that person always happy? How's that person always smiling? When you mirror someone, you will access the same state that they are in. Amazing. It's an amazing concept. If you're on the same wavelength, you'll be able to give and take on the same wavelength. So, so now if you can mirror someone who's happy and, and smiling and in a good mood by copying the facial expressions, the posture, the tone of voice, the speed of talking, even the rate of breathing. When you mirror them, you become them. When you mirror them, you become... It's amazing. Think about it. Yosef HaTzadik, right? Why is he called Yosef HaTzadik? He's the only one of the forefathers who called HaTzadik. So it's only, it's only once in the whole Gemara that calls him Yosef HaTzadik. I can't remember where it is, I think, Babatra. But it's one place in the Gemara where it calls Yosef HaTzadik. Why is he called Yosef HaTzadik? Because he succeeded with standing this great test with Potiphar's wife. Tremendous test. She was after him every day, every day, every day. She's a beautiful woman running after him. And he succeeded. How did he succeed? So Midrash says he nearly succumbed, but he saw his father's face. It was he mirrored his father. His mirroring his father's face saved him. 
So you see over there this powerful idea of having a mirror, an image of someone to, to copy. You have someone good in your life, a role model. I have a role model in my life. I remember he was the head of the Auschul, and I saw how people screamed at him and shouted at him and abused him, and he stayed calm. And that's my mirror. That's my image. I want to stay calm. That's it. Just try and stay calm. How do you survive? Just stay calm. So people come, they complain, they quetch, whatever it is. They come to the rabbi always with, with uh, sometimes, usually with complaints, very few compliments, but usually complaints. And what do you do? Just stay calm. That's the answer. The answer is you'll survive by staying calm. And it's really it's a very, very important technique. So that's the image I have when, as a kid. I see people shouting at him. And he's calm. So shout more. It doesn't affect me. You can scream as much as you want. So it's a very important idea to have some kind of role model of happiness. You can find someone in your life who's a happy person and roll and mirror them. So that's a very, very important technique. <coughs> so when you mirror a joyous or serene person, you experience joy and serenity. Amazing. It's very hard to find a happy person today. It's very hard. Uh, and in our school, we have a person who's a, one of the rabbis who's so very beaming all the time and, you know, like Beit Shammai, Hevim, Mikabel, Koladam, Beser, Parim, Yafot, always see people with a good, cheerful countenance. It's so hard to find people who smile when you look at them. It's very, very important. So we have to try and find someone and try and experience joy and serenity by activating this mirror image. So that's a very, very important idea. This is very, very... To mirror someone who's a happy person. Breathe the way they do, smile the way they do. And if you keep that up, you'll be modeling them, and you'll be like them. you become like them. It's very, very important. And that's, hopefully, we have someone in our lives that we can model. Um, if we have a, a happy person, a happy parent, a person who's, uh, <laughs> who cheers people up, it's very, very powerful. It's very, very important. So think of three joyous people to model a mirror. I don't know. I can't think of three. Can you think of three? If you can, find three people in your life, you can middle them, more, uh, model and mirror of a happy person, three happy people. Um, there's a beautiful story, I don't, I don't know if it's a true story, that says it happened in the time of the Arizal. It's, one, it's in his book, the Arizal. That uh, very mystical story that, that he was having this, he had a minyan in his shul, and there's two Arizal shul, by the way, in the Swat. There's a Sephardic Arizal shul, and there's an Ashkenazi Arizal shul, because the Arizal was half-half. His father was Ashkenazi, his mother was Sephardi. And his father passed away when he was a very young kid. He was brought up by his mother's, uh, mother's family in Egypt. So he was brought up as a Sephardi, but technically he was Ashkenaz. So he was comfortable in both. He had a, he had a, so in Sfat, he would sometimes go to the Ashkenazi shul, and then go to the Sephardi shul. So he was Arizal Ashkenazi shul, and Arizal Sephardi shul. <laughs> and then what happened is, he made the Sephardi, which is a combination of both. <laughs> so he sort of, and that's what Nusach Sephardi came from. Nusach Sephardi, the Hasidim adopted Nusach Sephardi. Because Arizal says, he says the Sephardic prayers go through 12 gates and the Ashkenazi prayers only go through one. So he, he changed the Ashkenazi prayers, made it more Sephardi, and that became called Nusach Sephardi. Interesting. So anyway, so even the Sephardi changed their tefillah also. He sort of fine-tuned everything. He fine-tuned everything. So, uh, so the Arizal apparently had a very mystical minyan over there, and one, one Shavuot it was, he calls up Avram Avinu and Yitzhak and Yaakov, again, Aliyahs, Aliyot. I see these old men coming. And who is that? That's Avraham Avinu. That's Yitzhak. I know it's a legend. I know. Yitzhak. And they saw David, and David was, everyone started laughing. He's dumping around and dancing, and such a happy person. Not to imagine that. It says, when David Amelech brought the Arona Kodesh to Yushalayim, he was dancing. It says, he was jumping and dancing with all his strength. 
And his wife, Michal, was looking out the window and she rebuked him. He said, who do you think you are? You're showing your legs to the women. You're like a, uh, one of the tramps on the street. He said, I'm not like your father. He says, your father is very proper and he lost his kingdom. In front of God, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'll dance like a regular person in front of God. I'm doing it for the sake of Hashem. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it for anyone. I'm doing it for the sake of Hashem. So he would dance. So apparently he was a very, very happy person. And if you said Yavid Amelech, you'd also be very happy. So we have to find someone like that, someone we can imagine who radiates happiness. And it's a very high, very hard to find, but it's very good to find someone and radiate like them. So a person would be, has to be happy and joyous, learn from others, but eventually you'll be part of your personality, be happy and joyous in your own way. So a person's going to be happy and joyous in their own way. So. Um, so same thing with joy so, so something which you can learn just like you learn something in college you learn something in school so too a person can learn traits by copying others we can learn to be happy by copying someone who's a happy person always look for happy people it's getting rarer and rarer to find <laughs> happy people so who's happy and smiling it's very very important to find someone so three, think of three if you can find three joyous people to bottle and mirror if you cannot think of any you have to change your environment <laughs> You gotta move. You gotta move. Where you gotta go? You gotta move. You gotta find someone. The fastest way to teach someone else how to become more joyous is mirror them. Mirror them. Enter a joyous state yourself and ask that person to mirror you. So if you can do that and be the you can be the role model for others. So it's very important, especially parents, grandparents, if you've got to learn to be happy. So our children see us and our grandchildren see us, learn oh, look, we can learn to be happy as well. I can learn to be happy as well. Usually it's the other way around. We see our grandchildren and they make us happy. <laughs> They're happier than we are. Kids are always happier than the adults because they have less worries. Okay, let's move on to chapter 20. This is a hard one. And it takes a lot of hokmas to be able to get to this level. And that is the joy of character development. Now that's a whole... Character development is a whole... We had a class, I think, once on character development. We went through the book. Uh, it's also a very good book by uh, Zarek Pleskin on character development. Um, I think he has a few books, actually. All his works are about character development, basically. All his works, even this one, Happiness, is part of character development. Um, it's a very important part of the character. If a person's happy or sad, it's a very, very important part of the character. So all his books are about character development. But he has a book called Gateways to Character Development um, to Self-Knowledge. Gateways to Self-Knowledge by Zarek Pliskin. Yes, Gateway to Happiness, but he has Gateway to Self-Knowledge. He has also a book called Gateway to Self-Knowledge, where he has a whole list of, of different traits. Very, very interesting. So we talked about it once. So it talks about the joy of character development. And most people think character development, that's not very joyous. That's, that's hard work. It is very hard work. It's very hard work, very tedious work, and sometimes very, very sad and depressing. The person thinks of the flaws in their character, and I've got to work on that flaw. I have a bad temper. I've got to work on that temper. I, have a, I, I get uh, fits of jealousy. I've got to work on my jealousy. I've got to work on this. I've got to work on that. It's very depressing. But if a person is really into changing themselves, every step up brings a person to tremendous joy. I think I'm becoming a better person. I'm trying to make myself a better person. And that should make a person happy. So that is a very, very important idea of having joy and fixing oneself. We talked about last week, we said the Vulner Gaon says, the main reason for a person coming into this world is to fix their character. The main reason, imagine, we're here in our world because we talked about last week, we said there's three parts of the person really, basically, I'm just trying to simplify. There's the soul and the body and then there's you. You're not your soul. You're not your body. Who are you? 
You are your character. You are the character. And the Kabbalists talk about what's called the Levush HaNishama, the garment of the soul. So it's interesting, if you think about it, the soul is just energy. Energy takes the shape of the container it's in. If the container is a beautiful container, the soul fills up the container like it is. If the, the, the soul of the, the container is a miserable container, the soul also fills up the miserable container. But the expression of the soul is through the container. So the container has cut uh, clear glass, the soul shines through clearly. The container is dirty glass, the, 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 the soul will not shine, shine through so, so clearly. So it's very important, that container. And that container is what's called the Levush Hanishama, is the garment of the soul, and that garment of the soul is our character traits. That's, our, that's who we are. We are our character traits. We are our sum total of our personality. That's who a person is. Who are you? My personality. That's a hard one, right? So a person with a nice personality, that's a nice you. A person with a mean personality, and jealous personality, and, and rotten personality, then that's who they are. So they're going to change. That's our mission. Our mission is perfect the personality, because when we perfect our personalities, our, our soul can shine through. It's very, very important. It's very hard to perfect the personality. So, most people are scared to hear criticisms, because, this, because they know they have flaws, and it reminds them of their flaws. So, uh, we're on page 60. All people have one thing in common. They all need to appreciate, learn to how to appreciate opportunities to develop their character. Because that's our mission. If our mission is to develop our character, the things which help me develop my character, I've got to appreciate. If that's my mission in life, I have to appreciate what gives me, helps me in our mission in life. So every test with people is all about character traits. If someone's nudging, I, I get this all the time. People nudge me all the time. I get people calling me non-stop. Some people just keep calling me. And they're not members of the shul, they're not this, but they need this favor, and they need this, and they need this, and they call me. It's cheaper than a psychologist. It's cheaper than a psychiatrist. Call a rabbi. So the rabbi gets it. So the person's going to know how to handle situations. It's all character traits. And they're all tests of character traits. Am I going to get upset? Am I going to get angry? Am I going to get this? Call me 50 times. Or am I going to stay calm? I'm going to try and stay calm. So that's really a big test of character. Self-control. Self-control. So we have to learn to appreciate these opportunities. They're all opportunities for self-growth. You have an opportunity. You have young children in the house. Every day is many opportunities for growth. <laughs> Dealing with kids, it's such a you don't know what's going to happen next. It's like uh, you got to you got to be a, you got to be all different kinds of uh, role models in different in one hat. You got to take it out of your hat. How are you going to deal with these kids? One kid comes back and then they fight amongst themselves and they ball a gun and one raucous kid can dr- drive everyone crazy. So the parents are really it's really a way to 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 develop one's character. So we all have to, we all know, we have to all start off as young kids. Listen, kids are very malleable at a young age. We have to teach our children at a very, very young age. And today it's becoming even earlier. Preschool is so important today. It never was important one time. But preschool, it says, kids who go to preschool are much more developed than kids who didn't go to preschool. Because they learn social behaviors at a very young age. The main thing we're trying to teach our children is how to be social. How to share. How to get along. Not to fight. So the earlier we can teach them, the better it is. It's much for a smoother household. So anyone who lets the character traits go on autopilot will have many character failings. If they didn't work on their character when they were young, we talked about last week, if you remember the story of the woman who, the young lady who her parents never told her no. And she got whatever she wanted. And she wanted her husband who's going to give her whatever she wants. And finally, she found the guy and the guy broke off the engagement. He said, I can't do this anymore. 
and then she had to change herself. It's much harder. It's much harder at a later age. We talked about how a person who's used to sleeping late, it's one small floor, sleeping late in the day. It's so hard to change that later on, to, to wake up earlier, to break that habit of sleeping late. Even on a Sunday, how do you break that habit of sleeping late? It's such, such a hard so to have faults is a normal human condition. That's why Hashem put us here. Hashem put us here to fix the flaws. When we fix those flaws, we become more Hashem-like. You want to be more like Hashem. Hashem is perfect, but we're not perfect. So what do we do? We have to try and perfect ourselves as much as we can. So He's our role model. Hashem is the role model. That's why Hashem says, Be holy because I am holy, but how can I be like you? I have no concept. How can I be like you? I can't. You're not, you're not jealous, even though Hashem says, the Torah says Hashem is a jealous God. And it talks about idolatry. Hashem doesn't get jealous. Hashem is way above these feelings. Hashem doesn't have feelings. He's not a human being. We have to try and get to that point where we can try and make our feelings. We're superhuman, in a sense. Control our feelings. Don't, take, don't let the emotions conquer us. It's so hard not to let the emotions conquer us, especially for women. Talking to women, I mean, yeah. it's very hard. Because women are guided by their emotional Men are guided more by their brains or something else I'm not going to talk about. But, uh, so it's very hard to control one's emotions. It's very hard to control oneself in general. That's why it says, Ezu Gibor, Kovesh Yisro. So a person who controls themselves is a mighty person. Who is a mighty person? A person who controls themselves. That's the hardest part is to control oneself. So, so in a sense, um, a sense of purpose of just fixing oneself. Most people don't even, are not in tune with fixing themselves. Most people don't even talk about fixing themselves. We're to, here to make it. Americans, we're here to make it. We're not here to fix ourselves. We see it's around us, so many flaws, and there's the people who lead the country, and the flaws, character flaws, major character flaws, major character flaws. So it's very important to control these character flaws. And uh, we get a sense of purpose and joy from controlling says, you know what, I had this desire for chocolate today and I control myself. Wow, that's great, that's big. Talavai has only got chocolate. I don't know. But we have small, start small, start small. So uh, a person would never want to lose their wallet or purse. If you do lose it, you'll be glad you notice it misses, then you can start searching for it. Same thing when a person says, you know, I have a character flaw, I just noticed, thank God I now recognize it, now I can work on it, this way I can get it back, I can fix it. So it takes moral strength and courage to be open to improve oneself. But it's another source of joy because every time you fix yourself, you're saying, wow, I fixed another flaw, I fixed another flaw. A person's got to work to perfection. That's the hard part. It's very, very hard. So a person's got to be open to criticism, which is so hard to do. So hard to do, be open to criticism. A person needs good self-esteem first before they can be open to criticism. That's, a, that's another issue. So on the other hand, we don't want to break people's self-esteem, so you don't want to be too, much, too critical of people. But... Uh, but a person with good self-esteem, that's a person going to work on the self-esteem issue first before they work on these things. Okay. So let's move on. Uh, page 62. And uh, first of all, he has some quotes at the beginning. I don't like doing housework, but I end up spending a lot of time doing it. Okay? You heard that before? I keep storing about doing my reports. They're a real hassle. The entire time I'm at my job, I keep thinking, I can't wait until 5 o'clock. I want to get away from here. I want to get away from here. I want to get away So there's many things we do. Why not do them in a good state of mind? If we're going to do it anyway, might as well find some kind of joy. Make it purposeful. Make it a, a fun thing to do. Have, have joy doing it. Why not have joy doing it? You know, it's interesting. As a teacher, 
the, teacher, the kids can also can sense if you're ex- exasperated with them or you're happy. If you're happy, the, the lesson flows much better. If you walk in exasperated already, you're finished. You're finished. The kids sense it. If you smile at them, they sort of relax. If you're frowning at them, they sort of get more tense, and they become the worst. Their behavior changes worse. So it's very important to be relaxed. It's hard. It's very hard. Sometimes you're relaxed, you can't tell with these kids. You can't tell, basically. So they'll drive you crazy either way. Okay. But, but why not do it in a happy state? Why not do it in a happy state? So you want to be a teacher, you're going to do it. You're going to find some joy in doing it. Find joy in anything you do, otherwise it's going to be a torture for you. So your person's going to find something you like to do. If you can't find something you like to do, make it as bearable and as likable as possible. So even housework. I don't know. I personally find it a change, you know, because I'm, only, I'm not there every day. I'm not doing it all day long. So it's a change. You know, put dishes in the dishwasher. It's like time to relax. You can put a dish in a dishwasher. Like You don't have to think about it. Just put a dish in a dishwasher. How long do you have to think? So it's a time to relax, you know, put a dish in a dishwasher. Um... Some things a man can do, you know, without any hassle, you know. <laughs> Don't overdo it, you know. Don't overdo it. There are many tasks, jobs, and chores that you'll end up doing anyway, so you might as well enjoy it. Many hours of our lives are spent this way. It's Rav Chaim Friedlander, very, very famous. He was Mashkiach Bonovich. He was also my Mashkiach when I was a kid. He used to come to Netivot to give a, once, a, once a week. He was the Mashkiach of Netivot, but he came once a week. Okay, part-time Mashkiach. It's better than nothing. He gives a talk once a week. He was a student of Desla. I knew three students of Rav Desla, Baruch Hashem. So he was one of them. So he used to say, if you're going to do it anyway, do it with joy. If you're going to do it anyway, do it with joy. And it's so important to teach our children this. Give them a chore, and then, eh, meh, meh, meh. They start complaining. If you're going to do it anyway, do it with joy. Choose to do it with joy. And it changes your whole attitude. It changes the whole action you're doing. Do it with joy. And that's one of life's challenge. My life's challenge is to transcend boredom. You know, it's interesting, because we do many mitzvot, but how much joy do we do it with? We do many other things, but we do it with joy, with gusto. You know, I'm going to the mall today, I'm going to get up early. Whatever. I'm going to a movie, I'm going early. I'm going to go to shul. I've got a shul. Okay. Another 20 minutes, another 30 minutes, another half an hour, one hour, two hours. I'll go. But why not do it with joy? That's the, the, the Ramchal, the Rabbi Shechaim Luzato says, a mitzvah with joy is like a thousand times more powerful than a mitzvah without joy. It's going to a thousand times more merit than a mitzvah with no connection. A thousand times more. It's not like it's one time more, two times more. It's thousands times more. It's like a big difference, massive difference. It's like you have two kids and the kids, one kid says, you tell, can you get me a glass of water? Okay. Can you go instead of me? And you're close to the door, just go get a glass of water for your and the other kid says, Dad, you need anything? I'll get you right now. Night and day. Night and day. A thousand times more. And this. And that's what we got to put up today. If you're lucky, you get a glass of water today. Get me a glass of water. Okay. So that's, uh, that's the way it works. So we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. Rav Chaim says, do it with joy. If you're going to do it anyway, do it with joy. Make life joyous. If you're going to do this anyway, you've got to go to the dentist. How do you make that into a joyous, I don't know. If you're looking after yourself, it's, it's, uh, you're doing the mitzvah. Hillel says, went to have a bath. And he's so happy. He says, why are you, going? Why are you happy? Rabbi, why are you happy? A student's asking him. He says, what mitzvah are you going to do? He says, I'm going to go and have a bath. He says, what mitzvah is that? He says, I'm cleaning Tzelem Elohim. I'm washing the Tzelem Elohim. We're creating the image of God. I'll clean the image of God. 
It's a big mitzvah. So look, you go to the museum and you see all the kings over there, what's it called, Madame to Swords, right? Can you imagine if the king walks in and sees his statue is dirty? He's going to get very angry. So every day they hire a guy to clean the statue. So can you imagine, where the Salaman Akim? You're walking around dirty. You're going to wash the Salaman Akim. It's a very important concept. So one of life's challenges is to transcend boredom. So boredom, okay, it's a distressful state, but it doesn't have the intensity as anxiety and fear. It's not as strong as depression and anger, but boredom is painful. <laughs> the worst is having a kid at home and uh, who's, he keeps telling you, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. Oh, boy. Nothing worse than that. So you have to find him things to do. It's very, very important. So boredom can be very, very boring, but there's many ways of making make it interesting. So it's, it's quite easy to get out of us. Suppose you listen to a class or lectures you find boring. Your mind is spaced out. But then there's a fire alarm and people, everyone starts screaming, fire, 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 everyone out. So straight away, it's much more exciting. Right? <laughs> it's much more exciting. Or suppose in your bored reverie, you think of a creative idea you feel that can make you earn a fortune. And it's a person bored. But in the mind, mind is amazing. Because our minds are working all the time. Whether you're bored, you're listening to me on one level, but your mind is moving on a different level. It's amazing how the mind can work at different levels. Um, Windows did not invent multitasking. Microsoft did not invent it. The mind already had multitasking many, many years before. So, interesting. So, suppose your brain suddenly runs through ten most favorable memories. And it does so with great intensity. You can even add music and vivid colors, and your state will change. Or you may even find a way that knowing that information will make a major difference in your life. So, for example, the teacher might say, the points I'm going to say now will be on your final exam. I want each of you to know it well, so it will help you in your life in general, and on the next test in particular. All of a sudden you see interest on the kids' faces. They want to pass the exam. They want to know what's going on. So this way, so we have to be able also to find some way of changing our attitude to things. It's interesting. You see kids. I did it myself. I tell you, when I was a kid, I was not really into going to synagogue. My father used to wake me up. Thank God he woke me up, and he used to drag me and make me sit next to him and eventually it worked it's amazing it worked he put his arm around me it was, it was a very very warm atmosphere sitting next to your father and being hugged by him and, and he made me follow along with him it's, uh, it was it really he, he saved me he chased me around the house teach me my, my bar mitzvah I was like the worst the worst student but eventually it helped eventually it did work and um, eventually it did uh, you know when I got to 18 I had to make a decision which way? Which way in life? It's, it's a major decision. You know, you're yeshiva, even yeshiva. You're raised in yeshiva, but when you get to that 18, you have to make a decision. Are you going to stay from in college? Are you going to stay from in college? Are you going to make that extra effort uh, to not to go the path of the, of the masses? Are you, are you going to make that effort not to let that peer pressure affect you? And you see many kids, they go to yeshiva, but the peer pressure affects them. And they're gone. Sometimes they're gone for a few years, sometimes they're gone forever. You see that. So can you imagine, today kids have to make that decision, and, and it's a major decision. I made that decision, and, but everyone has to make that decision. Everyone, made this, everyone in this room made that decision. Are we going to stay, or we're not going to stay? What are we going to do? We're going to go with society, or we're going to go anti, against society. Um, and if we're going to stay, if you're going to stay, you might as well do it well. If you're going to stay, you're going to try and reach the top. There's no point giving up so much and not giving it all you got. So it's, it's might as well, if you're going to go to shul, you might as well do it right. I'm not saying not do it at all, because that's the worst option. 
But if the world's going to go anyway and it's cold and it's staying reasonable, why don't you get the maximum bang for your back? If you're going to go anyway, you might as well go with you. Might as well. So it, a person's going to go and make that decision in life that certain things have value, certain things are important, and he's going to make that decision and say, this is where I've got to find joy in it as well. I've got to find purpose in it. And I tell you, when you think about it, you think about you know, connecting to your parents and connecting to your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-grandparents, connecting back to Avraham Avinu and Yitzhak and Yaakov and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, That's really the joy that we're connected. We're connected back to our anchor in life. We're connected to who we are. This is who we are. This is who they were. And we are their children and we're connected to them. So a person's going to find joy and meaning in it. And when you find joy and meaning in it, then you're going to make yourself a happy person. Okay, so thank you for listening to me and, and boring you to tears, but uh, hopefully... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.